Amen. The Lord is good. His mercy endureth forever. Let's take our Bibles this morning, please, to Acts chapter 4. I'm going to ask the children to stay this morning. And uh, if you would stay in, and I'm sorry for those workers that have prepared for them. And uh, it happens to me every week almost, so don't you worry about it. You'll be ready for next week, amen? Acts chapter 4, let's look there this morning. Acts chapter 4, the Lord has burdened my heart. After all that we have worshipped and sang about this morning, Acts chapter 4. I guess probably for my whole life, I've been around preachers. We always had preachers come through Bethel Baptist Church when I was a kid, and then of course went off to Bible college and you were always exposed to preachers. A lot of our professors were preachers. And uh, you know, the, uh, it, it was interesting, uh, several years ago when a, f- a friend of mine passed away, I had buried his wife. And then several years later, he had said to me, he says, when my time comes, I want you to, to do my funeral. And, and so brother, brother McKenzie, Cody, and so Cody and I, the last week of his life, we actually went up to the hospital. We spent a night at the hospital with him. We thought that he was going that night. And the family had been there for several nights, and they were just exhausted. So we said, well, we'll come and sit with him for a night. So we did. And uh, as the daughter, his daughter was leaving, uh, she took me aside and she says, now, Dad wants you to do the funeral. And I said, yes, I, I'm aware of that. And I said, he's given me a list of his songs and everything he wants. And, and she says, now, we don't, you know, a lot of the grandkids, they, they really don't know the Lord. And she says, so hellfire and brimstone just doesn't work well with them. And I said, well, you know, typically at a funeral, we wouldn't, we wouldn't preach hellfire and brimstone. We'd talk about the fact of, and, I, and, and she, she kind of looked at me and I, I said, and she said, well, she says, at mom's, you preached hellfire and brimstone. And I recalled the funeral, and I thought, wow, I, I, I remember opening up the Bible. I, Mr. McKenzie had given me the scripture to preach. He said, I'd like you to speak on this at my wife's funeral. And uh, he read about a Proverbs 31 woman. He got up and read the scripture about his wife, and, and I shared the gospel, and, and I guess... I said, I, I remember the passage, and I shared with her, and I said, there's not really, I said, it's just about the love of Christ and how he draws us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, how the love of God constrains us. And she says, but you mentioned hell. And I said, oh, well, I guess I probably did. And, and I said, but you know, there, and she said, well, I believe in hell. I'm a, I'm a child of God. I'm saved. And, and uh, as a matter of fact, she's best friends with Mary Muscle's daughter, uh, they go to the same church in St. Catharines, and they're very close. And uh, so she, she says, so we just don't want to talk about hell. And, and I understand, having been around preachers, that there is that hellfire, brimstone, we hate everything, and we literally, and, and don't take this the wrong way when I say this, we try to scare the hell out of people. I don't mean that in a cussing way, but we try to scare them so good with the concept of hell But understand this, though I believe there's a hell to be shunned, I believe that even if there was not a hell, listen to me, and I believe there's a biblical place called hell, eternal suffering and damnation for those that do not know Christ. I believe that God is so good, I don't know why anybody wouldn't want to accept him as Savior. God is so good 
that I don't understand why anybody would not want to accept him as Savior. Because if I were to close my eyes in death this afternoon, I can honestly say that walking with Jesus, the journey has been so good. It has been so good. If I wake up in the presence of Christ and he says, wow, there really wasn't a hell. Some man penned that Bible and he misrepresented what I wanted to say, which I don't believe for a moment, by the way. I believe all scripture is given by inspiration of God. I believe there's a literal hell. But if I were to wake up in the presence of God and he were to say, somebody misrepresented me, there is no hell, I would still honestly say entering into relationship with Jesus Christ as my Savior has been worth it. Because now I can stand in his presence. The Bible says in Acts chapter 4, and let me give you some of the background, and, and I'm going I'm to try to do something here this morning. I know it's 20 after 11. Kids, listen, can you give me 15 minutes? Can you do that? All right, give me 15 minutes. And I, I, I say that, and I don't mean to rush through this, but I, I, I don't want anybody getting too out of sorts. We want to be able to listen without distraction. Peter and John had just... In Acts chapter 3, they had been going into the temple. The Bible says it was the hour of prayer. And you'll remember there was a lame man that had been sitting by the gate. And the Bible says that for over 40 years, we read in Acts chapter 5, that for over 40 years, he had been crippled. And he looked up to Peter and John, and he expected to receive something from them. And verse 12 tells us that Peter looked upon him, and he said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I unto thee. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And the Bible says the man got up, and he began to leap and praise God. And he must have really messed up some of those religious Pharisees when he was leaping into the temple. Amen. I like that. I like it when a new believer gets excited and all the old Christians sit there and stare at him. I love that. Yeah. It cracks your face if you smile, right? I, it's good to see some joy in a new believer, some excitement about the things of God. And this, this gentleman, and I want to say young man, he's not a young man. If he's been crippled for 40 years, he went leaping and praising God into the temple. And because of this good work, Peter and John were brought before the council. They'd spend a night in prison. And the Bible says that when they got up, I want you to understand something. It's it's interesting. So often we like to defend our actions. We get accused of something and we feel like it's necessary to defend those actions. And and listen, friend, as a child of God, you have to be very careful doing that. And truth is important. And if you've been accused of something terrible, then there are times where we must come to our defense. But there's been times, I'll, I'll be honest with you, in the church where somebody will say, well, the pastor, whatever, and, and I'm not going to get up in the pulpit and say, well, here's why I did that. The Bible says, should we not rather be defrauded? And so Peter and John took that position. They didn't defend themselves. The only thing they asked that that might be construed as a defense and says, what good works are we being judged for? Are you upset that a man that could not walk is now walking around and leaping and praising God? I mean, there's one more now that's inside the temple. And for you tight wallet Pharisees, there's one less begging at the gate. So what is it you're upset about? But instead what they did is in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, they said, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And now they understand we're not being attacked because of the good work. 
we're being attacked because of that precious name, the name of Jesus. And so instead of defending themselves, they decided to preach Christ. Now look at Acts chapter 4, and we'll just be a few moments this morning as we share a couple of these thoughts in verse 5. And it came to pass on the morrow that the rulers and the elders and the scribes and Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and as many as were the kindred of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. There's a wonderful, wonderful uh, lesson here that, that we sometimes miss. Annas and Caiaphas were also present at the crucifixion of Jesus. And as Peter was in the courtyard denying the Lord Jesus Christ and denying knowing him, it was Caiaphas that looked through the crowd and saw Peter face to face and condemned Jesus. Think about that. The next time Peter stands before a council, there's Caiaphas looking at him, knowing that Jesus had been crucified by this wicked man. Not he alone, but of, of the Pharisees in the council that cried out for Jesus' death. Caiaphas was one of them. And now Peter must stand and say, now how am I going to address the situation? I remember just a short time ago, it was just uh, 50, 60, 70 days ago, it was just a couple months ago that Jesus stood before this same Caiaphas and was crucified on the cross. And here we are just after the day of Pentecost, just a, a short time. The Bible doesn't give us the time when they went into the temple, but it's just a short time. The church is really just in its infant stages. And, and the Bible says that here's Peter standing before Caiaphas again and John and Alexander, verse 6, and as many as were of the kindred of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem and when they had set them in the midst that's intimidating they asked by what power or by what name have ye done this understand what they're asking is where is your authority where did this come from we want to know if you are working for some false god or some demon and he says so by what power by what name have you done this? Verse seven, 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom he crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. Peter's saying, let me get this straight. If you're asking about the good work that was done, if you're asking about this impotent man, this man with no power in his legs who now stands before your whole, if that's what you want to know about, let me, let me tell you this, it's because of Jesus. Because of Jesus of Nazareth. Well, let me ask you something today. Let's just pause for a moment. If Jesus... Not even physically being present on the earth at that moment, already having ascended to his Father and sent his Holy Spirit to dwell within the hearts of Peter and John, if Jesus has that kind of power in his name alone, do you think there's anything he can't handle for you? We have seen people healed in our church. We have seen people take their lives and totally be turned around and changed. And, and Brother Kevin just testified last Sunday night of a, a fellow that was 
dumpster diving and beside their business and, and, and filthy in his clothes and in his appearance. And just three months later, after receiving a gospel track, standing in a store dressed clean and, and clean cut and using a debit card, which means he went to a bank and started a bank account and has a job and paying for his groceries. And, and friends, that's the power of the name of Jesus Christ. And that's the change that he can make in your life. It's at the name of Jesus. Notice what it says in verse 11. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders. If I can put that in modern English, if I were to say that, I would say this is the, the Savior that nobody wanted. This is the Christ that you have cast aside. This is your Messiah that you crucified on a cross. This was the one that was about to change all of your religious ideas and turn the world upside down. And so you put him to death and you buried him in the ground. This was the stone which the builders rejected, as Peter would also say. And notice what he says in verse 12. Neither is there salvation in any other. Listen, if you don't get anything else today, memorize that phrase. Let's read it out loud together. Neither is there salvation in any other. Let's say it again, loud and proud. Neither is there salvation in any other. Let me see here. How many, how many, uh, is there anybody here in sixth grade, 11 years old? Sixth grade over here. When the Bible says, neither is there salvation in any other, what do you think that means? I'm looking at you three that raised your hand. What does it mean? Does it mean there's any other name we can be saved by? No. Does it mean that Jesus is the only name we can be saved by? 11-year-olds get it. It's not that difficult to comprehend. But the world today, and maybe you're here today, and you're saying, well, I, you know what? I, I think it's Jesus plus church. I think that if I follow Jesus, there's, there's a lot of followers in Jesus in John chapter 6 and verse 66 who turned back and followed him no more. There's a lot of people that set out to follow Jesus Christ, but they're doing it with their heads and they're doing it with their, their will and, and they're doing it because they enjoy the fellowship of God's people and so they come to church and what you have done in effect is added church to Jesus. But the Bible says neither is there salvation in any other. Jesus Christ himself said, I am the way, the truth, the life and no man comes to the Father but by me. It is an exclusive path. So oh, you're just narrow-minded. That's what truth is. Truth is always narrow-minded. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is given by God and therefore it is truth. Jesus Christ said in John chapter 17, when he was praying for his disciples, he said, sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. I'd rather be narrow-minded and right than broad-minded and wrong. For the Bible says narrow is the way that leads to eternal life, and few there be that find it. But broad is the path that leadeth to destruction, and many go in thereat. I want to tell you today that if you want to go to heaven one day, if you want to spend your eternity in the presence of Christ, 
It is a narrow path. Neither is there salvation in any other. Read the rest of the verse with me now. It says, For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. How many of you have heard the name Buddha? Raise your hand. Go ahead, raise your hand. Heard the name Buddha. Won't save you. There is none other name given under heaven among men whereby ye must be saved. It's the precious name of Jesus. Put your hand out. Raise your hand if you've heard the name Muhammad. For neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name given among men under heaven whereby we must be saved. How many of you have heard the name Confucius? Gandhi? You've heard all these religious leaders who lay in a grave... They said, well, those aren't their gods. Buddha is one of their gods. How many of you have heard Allah? Allah is the Muslim god, the god of Islam. And somebody, well, some, you know, they, they, Allah is just another name for God. No, he is not. He is not a name. Allah did not have a son by the name of Jesus Christ who took on flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father. If Jesus Christ is the express image of God and he is present in this world to to point us to God, he did not call him Allah. Allah is the moon God. Every temple you'll ever come across has a crescent moon on the top of their spire. You say, why? Because that's the God they worship, the God of the moon. Now listen, there is none other name given among men whereby we must be saved. It is the name of Jesus. Let me ask you this. Have you found salvation in any other? Where have you put your hopes? Is it Jesus plus church? Church is just a name. It's an organization. It's not a person. The church did not die for your sins. The Bible says Jesus died for the church. It's the other way. You got it all backwards. Maybe you're saying, well, I'm trusting in Jesus plus good works. Good works are a demonstration of our faith. The Bible says that faith without works is dead. In other words, we have no way to prove that we have faith if we do not have good works. We ought to go forth in the name of Jesus Christ and and doing good for our brother and loving our neighbor and doing all those things the Bible tells us to do, but they will not save you. It's not of works of righteousness which we should boast. We are saved by grace, a gift of God, Through putting faith in him. Neither is there any other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. God is good. And he is so good that he loved us. And he loved us so much that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Let me just finish up very quickly. You might ask, but why is it necessary? Why is it important that we have a Savior? Why is it important that I put my faith in Jesus Christ alone to save me? Because the Bible says we're all sinners. Even the kids here will remember the story of Genesis. Adam and Eve were placed in a garden, a place called Paradise. And, and listen, you say, was, was, was the garden really perfect? God looked upon it and said, 
it is good. I dare say God doesn't look at the world today and say it is good. All the goodness of God is found in his son, Jesus Christ. But he looked at that garden, he said, it is good. And he put Adam and Eve in there. And when he created Adam and Eve, he says, it is good. They were perfect. They were without sin. They were walking in perfect fellowship with God. But sin destroyed their fellowship. God is so merciful that he did not hide his face from Adam. Adam hid his face from God. He went and he hid in the bushes and he tried to cover himself with fig leaves. And God came and said, where art thou, Adam? Adam said, I had taken of the tree. I've sinned. He says, who has told you you've sinned? And from that moment, God began to prepare a way. He shed the blood of an animal as a picture of what Christ would one day do for us. Man had been separated from God. You remember they were put out of the garden. That doesn't mean they couldn't still pray. Doesn't mean they couldn't make their sin right with God and be justified by the blood of sacrifice. But it was never the same. And from there, it just got out of control, didn't it? From Genesis chapter 3 to Genesis chapter 6, we see that the, the Bible says there was only one righteous man left on the earth. His name was Noah. And Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And the wickedness of man had come up before the eyes of God, and God had destroyed the earth. And it's a picture of what God will one day again, he will separate the righteous from the unrighteous. And he'll pour judgment upon earth. Let me say this. All have sinned. We're all just like Adam. Jesus came along some uh, 3,500 years later. And he stood upon a hilltop in Jerusalem and he looked upon the people. And he says, all they like sheep have gone astray. And he wept. Every man has gone after his own way. Everybody is just following after their own sin. I don't say that to insult you today. I'm in the same boat as you are. I was a sinful creature separated from God. If Ephesians chapter 2 says this, and you hath he quickened who were dead. We were dead in trespasses and sins. And the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3 verse 10 says, there is none righteous, no, not one. But Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. There's a penalty for our sin, but the gift of God is eternal life. Listen for that name through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Not anybody else, not your good works, not your church attendance, not what you call yourself religiously, not because you were baptized as a baby. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. It's a name that has been given above all names. And at one day, that same name, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Let me just take you right to the end right now. Listen, a couple more minutes. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Ephesians chapter 2 puts it this way, for by grace 
are ye saved. The word grace is a gift from God. Something you do not deserve. You ever been threatened as a child about Christmas? Well, I don't know if you deserve that new game system or whatever it is you want. If I, let me talk to the older ones. I, I'm, not, I'm not sure you deserve that new slate tablet. I don't know. <laughs> How old are we, right? We all had something we wanted as a kid. And our parents are perfect at leveraging that whole Santa Claus thing. He sees your behavior. I don't know if you deserve it. Let me say this. A gift, listen, young people, a gift is an expression of love. Has nothing to do with our behavior. Because if it did, none of us would be saved. God gave us this gift, Jesus Christ, because he loved us. And he died for us. And when the Bible says the wages of sin is death, that's the price that had to be paid. Jesus paid it for us. And you can be saved today. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Not because you belong to a church. Not because you're a good person. But solely because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross of Calvary. And we can put our faith in him. And by grace, he'll save you. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. I think I went 20 minutes. Let me ask you, are you ready to meet Jesus? So I've got plenty of time. I'm just a child. I'm just middle-aged. Nobody's guaranteed of tomorrow. This past Monday, I had a funeral for my aunt. A bunch of cousins were there. We weren't expecting very many, but I, there must have been 60 or 70 in that cemetery. And what a lot of them did after the funeral is they walked around to all the graves of their siblings that they had buried as babies. My aunt had 12 children, and only six of them are still alive. Seven of them lived to adulthood, and five died, either stillborn, one was just five months old, a little four-year-old girl drowned. You are not guaranteed of tomorrow. You're not guaranteed of tomorrow. There was another cousin there. A stone I saw, and the date said 1959 to 1959. We are not guaranteed of tomorrow. And I don't say that to scare anybody. I just want you to have a, the reality of the facts. That it is a decision that you should not put off. You should put your faith in Jesus Christ, and by his grace he'll save you. Because he is a good God who loves you. And it is worth every second of the journey. Oh, we still, we still mess up. We still fail. But God's grace forgives us and saves us. Can you play Jesus paid it all, Daniel, if you'd play that for me today? I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. 
Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. You can have your sins washed away today. You can be forgiven. And you can be on your way to heaven if you just trust in Jesus. Let's stand to our feet this morning. Their heads bowed and their eyes closed. The altar's open. Some are already here praying. Let me ask you, do you know Jesus? Are you ready for heaven? Are you trusting in anything else? The Bible talks about repentance. That means we must turn away from everything else that we're trusting in and trust only in Jesus Christ. And you can be saved today. We want to help you. We'll take a Bible and show you what it means to have eternal life. As one say, Pastor, I'm not sure if I were to die today that I'd spend eternity with Christ in heaven. I'm trusting in something else to get me there. Would you slip up your hand? I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. I promise you that. As one say, Pastor, I'm not sure I'm saved. Amen. I see that hand. Amen. You may put it down. Another? Yes, I see another. If you raised your hand, I see another. Would you step out and meet me down here? Just take that step of faith. Have some courage. I I promise I'm not going to embarrass you, but I'm going to send somebody with you. I need, I think, three men to grab Bibles. Step out and come right now. Just come see me. I'll step down off the platform. Come on out. We'll answer any questions that you have. We're not here to make you feel uncomfortable. This is the most important decision you'll ever make in your life. Is there another? If you raised your hand, would you step out and come? Come and see me. If you you step out of your pew, I'll walk and I'll meet you. I'll, I'll help you. Is there one? 